This is the Rad Mars Podcast, episode 103. I'm Andy Mindler. I'm Trevor Williams. And I'm Andrew Ford. Holy shit, we've made 102 of these things already. Have we? Well, 100, 103. I'm not including not, this one yet. Not yet. This this could be a complete disaster. We could die in the making of it. Who knows? <laughs> the world could end. It's true. <laughs> but it still comes out, so then they still hear it. <laughs> <laughs> this is the last... This is the last artifact produced by humanity. (laughs) Not a good note to end on. Yeah. Hey, we don't know yet. This could be a really heartfelt, charming (laughs) epigy. I I doubt it. I don't think so. I'm not sure that's the right term, but... (laughs) Effigy? Epigy? I I, I said epigy, but I'm not sure what an epigy (laughs) is, if anything. Hold on, I gotta Google this. Epigy. (laughs) You mean epigy, the game studio from 30 years ago? No, no. I, I don't know why that word came into my mind. I don't think epigee is a word, but dude. Perigee? Epigee. Feminine plural of epigeo in Italian. Apogee is a word. Astronomy. Yeah, it's a point in orbit. The highest or most distant point. Apogee. Apogee. <laughs> Not epigee. Yeah, I think it was going for epitaph. I think that I, I think uh, that's the word I was actually yeah, reaching sense. for. And then I went for epigee instead because astronomy's on the brain oh well what are you gonna do well this week we're gonna talk about hacking oh yeah (laughs) or not really hacking but fake hacking fake hacking in video games oh yeah. where usually in a game you have to hack some horse shit and they're like let's make this fun so they give you a mini game and they try and simulate, I guess, I mean, a lot of times it's not necessarily simulating actually hacking. It's more of just like abstracting the idea, like the concept of what it means to hack something and take control of it. So it's like, what does that look like? And a lot of games take it in very different directions. Like in Bioshock, it's a weird like two water tube game where you're aligning tubes and having the water flow, which I mean, really it it fits with the whole Bioshock game being underwater and like the weird technology and stuff. Um, But like, it doesn't really make a lot of sense, but it's cool. But sometimes I wonder if like these are like, are any of these like actually, cool and enjoyable or are they just kind of like annoying and you just get through them i feel like half of them that's how it is where it's just like this is just an an annoying thing that i have to do and i wonder if there are any that are like legitimately good that like they could be on their own a standalone game (laughs) i always feel like that's a challenge with mini games in general like 
they're sort of added to another game and that other game exists on its own strength. And this is usually just sort of like, I don't know, a palate cleanser or sort of like change of pace or something like that. Yeah. And the game's usually not strong enough to stand on its own. Um, it might be just sort of an interesting divergent or divergence. Wow. I'm side note. I got up at three o'clock in the morning. So I think that's part of the reason why <laughs> I'm more word salad than normal. But yeah, like, so a lot of these games are just sort of palate cleansers or something that are just sort of like brief things that you experience in the game that get pretty old after you've done it three or four times, but you still have to do it for the rest of the game. You know, you know what they had, a, this is kind of a tangent away from like hacking in general, but like a mini game in a game that I really enjoyed was in the first Kingdom Hearts, the gummy ships. Like the weird little like you could like customize it, and then like when you traveled between like um, systems, you flew through like a space like thing, and it was kind of like on rails, um, and it was pretty simple and like bare bones. But something about the fact that like you could customize your ship, and then just like run it through this like very simple course, was actually really fun. Like I really enjoyed that. And I thought it added a lot to the game and like, it wasn't something where on its own, it could stand on its own. Like, cause it wasn't full enough for that, but it was like a really good quality, like addition to the game. Like it, it made like that, you know, they could have put in any, you know, uh mini game to like pass time as it's going between systems. But for some reason, the like way they put, that together really worked for me and uh and i think that's kind of like something i think about with like mini games and like hacking mini games and stuff like that is like it doesn't need to be necessarily like a full featured game but it needs to complement it enough that mm -hmm. like while you're playing it you're like like you're excited to do it and like you can get good at it or you can work on it and it becomes almost like a skill hmm. I don't know. I do think that's an important thing. Uh, the fact that there's enough meat in the minigame that it's something you can get better at as you progress through the game and do it more frequently. Yeah. And it's not just something that is just a complete and total time waster. Um, has anyone played um, Half-Life Alex by chance? No. Okay. Neither have I, but I've seen some people playing it. And I think it has some sort of a hacking mini game, but I guess we can't really talk about it since none of us have experienced it. Well, I think VR is like adds an interesting layer to things because we were talking about like kind of like hacking is like lock picking mm -hmm. mini games. And I've been doing a bunch of like I started doing lock picking in real life as like a thing to try and learn because I don't know, it seemed fun. And uh, I got, like, a kit and some shitty locks and uh, learned a bit how to do it. And, uh, you know, I've I've played video games before and have come across lockpicking video games. And doing it in real life, I'm like, there's not, there's, like, no good way to, like, actually replicate the experience of picking a lock in real life into a video game mm -hmm. because so much of it is really based off of like feel like the tension you're feeling um, and like very, very minor like sensations in your fingers 
from holding the like pick and the like you're listening for sounds as well and you're feeling like tension on the rod with your other hand and you're doing it pretty much blind Mm -hmm. because you can't see inside the cylinders and so that's a lot of sensations and things like that that you can't really get in a video game um (laughs) And if you tried to do it, it would probably be a really crappy experience. Like if you were like, you made it so that you were doing the lock picking, but you couldn't see the lock picking and you did it based off of like rumble features, maybe. I don't know. I hear the PS5 has really good rumble features. Maybe there's something there. I'm not sure. Um, But maybe in VR, if they had like really good haptic feedback, you could replicate it. I'm not sure it would be enjoyable though like it seems like that's that's one of the things where i think abstracting it you actually probably get (laughs) a better um experience even though it's not like exactly like exactly what you're doing you could you could take the concepts of what you're doing where you have like pins and like a rotating cylinder and stuff and you're like tapping on pins and stuff um but you would probably need to show that to people. And that's like a huge part of lockpicking is you're doing it blind. So Yeah, I mean, video games are such a visual medium. And you get basically no visual feedback whatsoever when it comes to lockpicking. As a quick aside, I've done a little bit of lockpicking as well. I'm pretty terrible at it, but I understand the basics. Uh, Ford, have you done any lockpicking? Nope, not aside from watching YouTube videos. So Okay. I mean, like, for one thing, like, a lockpicking minigame, you know, that's pretty well known is, like, the Bethesda game lockpicking ones. I think all of them, like, Fallout and, like, um, Elder Scrolls or whatever, Mm -hmm. uh, use pretty much the exact same thing, right? Where you get, like, the pick and you're looking at the face of, uh, you're looking at the face of the lock and you put the pick in and then you rotate it for some reason and then you apply pressure and for some reason that like depending on that like it unlocks it which like i don't know who came up with that like that's an interesting way to like look at like come up with an idea to like represent lock picking because that doesn't make any sense and like it doesn't like correlate to real lock picking in like any real way. <laughs> you don't break ten of your picks trying to pick a single lock. Oh god, no. Yeah. But you also don't like spin it for some reason. Like that has nothing like what <laughs> I guess it's just worth saying as an aside, you know, it, the nature of video gaming is taking a sort of situation that you're never going to be able to do in real life for the most part, and then do it inside of a sort of, you know simulated setting or whatnot and when it comes to simulated lock picking most of the people playing the game are going to have no concept of what an actual lock pick is or how it works and they shouldn't need to in order to actually play the game successfully uh the same way that you shouldn't know how to cast a fireball in real life in order to do it successfully in your game um And so there's a lot of different levels of abstraction i've seen like some games are just you have a lock pick and to open a door it consumes a single lock pick. Right. Boom. It's like there's no mini game whatsoever. It's yeah. just completely abstracted away, um, which is one approach. But that's the same thing with like hacking, where you just have like a hack tool and you walk up to like a terminal and it's like hacked. 
Yep. I think it's it's worth pointing out the uh, I think the Oblivion lock picking one actually did have a representation of a lock with pins, and you move the you like move the pins up and down in their proper places. Oh, but it's really? All, but yeah, but it's all visual, which has you know nothing to do with how you actually do it in real life. But at the same time, like it in some regard, you are getting a basic understanding of how lock picking works, which I think is kind of interesting. Um, I think I think there is a way to do lock picking where you are representing because you use both hands really really I guess you could do it with one hand but you do it with both hands where you have one hand holding a tension rod and then another hand picking the little pins and trying to fit them into the into place and I think you could do that with like a controller um would it be good I'm not sure but I think I feel like there is a way of doing it where it could be interesting. Um, so a quick aside, um, you, uh, Ford, you talked about watching videos of lockpicking. Were you watching Lockpicking Lawyer? Yep. Okay. The only the only lockpicking YouTuber, as far as I'm concerned. Fair. <laughs> because that's what comes up in my recommendations. Yes. Uh, I asked because I think I saw a video of his where he attached a camera, like a fiber optic camera, to a lockpick. So it was actually a visual thing where you could see the pens. Um but I don't think that's a very typical way of doing it. So I, I have a uh, a like learner's thing where it's literally cut on one side. And so you can see the shafts and the pins and you can see your like um, your pick as you're going in. And so it's meant to help you figure out like what you're doing wrong and why things aren't working. Um, and it's it's really nice. Um, and it, it's very helpful, but, um, and that's why I think like that, like that experience is still really cool. And I'm like, so if that works, like it could work in a video game. It's just that, um, I think like you, the one thing that like a lot of video games don't do super well is like the, like managing of like the tension rod with the like picking, um, that is like a very like specific skill. Um, and it, it plays a lot in like the more difficult like pins. Cause they have uh security pins that can get tricky because if you apply too much pressure, they get caught in the center and you can't tell. And you have to use like counter pressure, which I still don't have a great understanding of, but I don't know. I think there's like a lot of intricacies where I'm like, it's it's there like there's something there like i think you could do it but i don't know would it be worth it maybe i mean there's so many simulator games if you know <laughs> pc building simulator you can make a lot yeah simulator and probably make back yeah i just wonder if like adding it as like a super like detailed mini game would just be like frustrating for people <laughs> no it's its own game you gotta get the the lock picking yeah nerds mm-hmm. and you have to market it to extreme, you know, to that very uh, selective audience of people who have VR and some sort of haptic feedback gloves, which yeah, I think maybe there's probably a dozen people out there or something like that. Do that they really make that. haptic feedback gloves? I have no idea. I'm assuming people have it in labs or something, which is um, why I'm generously assuming that there's a dozen of them. Yeah. So if you can sell it for like, I don't know, $100,000 a copy, you might make profit on it. Are there any like hacking minigames that you guys remember or 
look back on fondly. The the ones in the newer Deus Ex games, I think, are all right. I think the older, I think the original game it was just only like you click the hack button and you wait for a progress bar to fill up. Nice. Yeah, you had hack hacking tools that were consumable. And I'm just thinking about what that'd be like in real life. If it's like you had to buy a new laptop every time you wanted to hack something, it'd be very expensive. <laughs> yeah, but I think the newer the newer games, I think, had, yeah, you had like a mini game where you're on like a grid of like nodes that represented like the network or something. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And yeah, you, you, there would be like a time where you have to like it would like go to the next node and like there would be occasionally like a thing would trip where like the security thing would come from another side of the map and kind of come after you. So there was some strategy yeah. involved in like how you kind of right. go through the map. So it was kind of cool, but it was kind of borderline whether it was actually any fun sometimes. And there were like, there also there's a thing where there'd be like items that would like make it easier. So they're, they're clearly giving you an avenue to like skip past it somewhat. Yeah. Which is not a good mm-hmm. sign of confidence. That was one of those games where I was like, it feels like almost something. Yeah. Um, that's how like a lot of them feel like. Um, and the reason why like, I, I brought like this subject up was like, I kind of was wrestling with the idea of like, how do you represent hacking in a video game? Because I was making my own personal project and I had a hacking function and I was like, what does that look like? And so I, the way I decided to represent it was like, like an idle clicker game. And so what it is is like almost like cookie clicker, you know, those ones where you like click it. And then after you've acquired enough, you start getting like upgrades and stuff and then you can then like upgrade or like start like investing in a second tier, which maybe like automatically fills lower or something like that. And then you slowly like, like everything escalates over time and you keep like buying, like, uh, like upgrading, like different parts of it and stuff. And I just had it so that like after a certain point of like escalation, there's just like an unlock that's like, um, like, like you, you, like you're hacking around, like unlock doors, or you can continue playing, and then it you can like unlock more things, and so like, it, I also had a thing where you could your first tool, you had to like plug it in, and you had to like keep the screen up, and play it, and you could only unlock as long as you held the thing open. So it kind of incentivized you to kind of just get in, unlock what you needed to unlock and get out. And later on, there was like a remote one where you could attach it and then you could walk around and turn, like open it up and it would be running in the background. It's like idly, like adding stuff so you could then click it and like upgrade stuff. So then as you get deeper into exploring the ship, you could open it up and you could potentially like hack deeper levels of the ship. I don't know. I was like, that's that's a thing to do, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so is this a personal project of yours? Uh, personal game? Yeah. Cool. It was a, um, like a non-violent, like, it was called like Space Scrapper or some shit, where you just um, explored randomly generated, like, spaceships, which were just like dungeons, essentially. And you had to, like, they were all, like, in various levels of disrepair. And you could either go in and, like, depending on what parts of the ships were broken, um, there would be, like, radiation or there would be, like, heat or something. So you had to, like, modify your suit to, like, withstand the, like, environment. 
And then you could either, depending on like what you've scavenged in the past, you could either repair the ship and then like go to like the like um, pilot's quarters or whatever and get its like location beacon. And then you essentially sell the full ship for like Mm -hmm. its full price. Or you could just go in, just run in, grab shit, like tear out parts and stick it in your pocket and run back and then just find a different ship and then go and sell parts. It sounds a bit like a game I think Brendan was talking about earlier. I think Hard Space Shipbreaker. <laughs> it's the same premise, just like the gameplay is wildly different. Yeah, yes. it's very different. Mine was like just a first person like dungeon exploration kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And it just had a bunch of different avenues of like upgrading stuff and having like items like like random junk items and stuff. And it's just kind of like, I don't know. And and there was a lot of like things where I worked on where um, like trying to be tactile about how you interact with things, like to get to certain things. Like you had a, like a, like a rivet gun type thing. And you had to like take the bolts off a plate. Like you had to pull, like drag the manually drag the like panel out take the bolts off the cover, then pull the cover off, throw it on the ground. And then you would like fix different parts and then you'd slide it back into place and then like hit a button. And then like same, like everything was kind of like tactile in that way where you were like actually picking up things and placing them. And it wasn't all like menu based. Hmm. Was this ever uh, released? Is this something our listeners could play if they wanted to? Nope. Nope. Sitting on my hard drive right now. Okay. <laughs> well, Andy, you have so much time to make games. What's, what's wrong with you? I know. Just release it already. I got really far and then I hit some like really difficult um just development issues and um it just kinda fell off it. So hmm. I'll get back to it at some point. Now that your life is getting simpler in the near future. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> now that I'm Adding a child to my family, things are just going to get easier, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> right, guys? Right. You can have the older child take care of the younger child. That's how it works, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's, that's why you have kids, right? You put them to work. <laughs> you yeah. go four-year-old. It keeps the older child busy and uh, <laughs> takes care of the younger child. It's a win-win. God. I don't know. Like, the the um, Deus Ex um, hacking minigame reminded me almost like what if you did like almost like a tower defense game type thing, like as a hacking thing? Yeah. Like I, you could almost do like a reverse. I don't know if you'd want to do it like reverse where like you're trying to break into it. That would or, feel more thematically appropriate for hacking right. in terms of yeah. like the towers of the defense. But I think you're getting at something which I was thinking about while you've been talking about it, which is you can go in radically different directions from actual hacking or actual lock picking or anything like that. Right. I was thinking of uh, a pretty old game, uh, Shadowrun for Super Nintendo. Um, and um, it takes place in the RPG system of Shadowrun, which is this sort of dystopian future where magic has reemerged. And so you've got like elves and orcs and dragons and whatnot. But it also takes place in the future where you've got, you know, mega corporations that control everything and are basically replaced governments. Um, but hacking is a big part of this and you've got like, you know, I think it's like a character class or something, a Decker, um, 
And so in this game, there was uh, a hacking minigame. But the way it worked was, if I recall correctly, and it's been decades, so I may be wrong, there were like nodes that you would had attack and defense values, and you would basically attack them. And like it would, they potentially hurt you. And it basically turned it into this sort of like turn-based combat-ish game, as opposed to anything resembling hacking. But it was pretty fun, if I recall correctly. Yeah, I think the Genesis version had something similar. I'm not sure it was exactly the same, because I think the Genesis and the Super Nintendo versions of Shadowrun were pretty different. But I think the I think it was the Matrix. Of course, they got to call it <laughs> the Matrix mm-hmm. or whatever in Shadowrun. Oh. And it was like basically, yeah, like a turn-based kind of JRPG-ish kind of combat system that was just like an extra layer of gameplay mm-hmm. um, behind the rest of the game that you had to like gear up for separately and stuff. Yeah, I think that's interesting. Like taking almost like like a strategy approach to things or something. Like I don't know. There's, there's something interesting about. Like a like a light game almost, um, you know, like tower defense games are like kind of like mindless games. Mm-hmm. It's worth also pointing out that the newer Shatteron games, Shatteron Returns, there's the main gameplay is like a you know tactical sort of strategy RPG, like isometric sort of Final Fantasy Tactics kind of thing. And yeah. the hacking part of the game is also kind of like the same thing, except you're in like a weird VR world. So it's just kind of um, they're just kind of extending the game into a different sort of vibe it's one of those games that i purchased or i think i might have crowdfunded or something but i still haven't played it as is the case with basically all the video games that i crowdfunded yeah yeah i, I think i did too i bought i played the first one i didn't play like they made like a bunch of them in a row they made i think they made at least like three of them oh wow but the i played the first one the first was not bad hmm. i'm just trying to think of like small small games like small scope games that could be interesting to just kind of like take like bits and pieces of and just like do like a pared down version of it as like a hacking mini game. I'm guessing I'm also going with the same thing. Well, the same sort of thought in terms of how you can simplify it and taking this sort of like board game approach of, Hey, make a simple card game out of it or something. Or it's, you, you know, you draw cards, you collect resources, you play cards for effects, things like that, you know? Yeah. You, you could do like a, like a mini CCG, as your hacking game, you know, mm-hmm. like there's a way to like kind of like skin that where you're like your cards are like viruses or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. and you got to like play them. And I don't know that that sounds interesting. Like and then like as you're playing the game, you can just like ambiently be collecting some of these things and you just like build a hacking deck. That sounds cool. I like that. Do that. Yeah. <laughs> Boom, sold. Another game I was thinking about as we've been talking about this, um, and I think we talked about briefly before we started recording, was uh, a game called Uplink, um, which is probably another sort of like 10 or 20 years old at this point. Um, Not quite as old as Shadowrun for Genesis and Super Nintendo, but definitely not as recent as like, uh, well... (laughs) The other Shadowrun game. Yes. um, (laughs) But um, it was a game that was specifically about hacking. Um, That was the entirety of the game. And a lot of it was somewhat sort of rote and repetitive. So it had things like, oh, you have to provide somebody's voice 
Um, and so you have to get their phone number and then call them and then record their voice and then play back huh. that voice in order to fool the you know security systems and whatnot. So it's like legitimate hacking, like actual real life hacking. Sort of. I mean, there and I mean, there are some parts to it, like, for instance, you need to crack passwords and you can buy various programs to do this. And one of them is a dictionary attack, which is very fast, but it only gets some passwords. Um, mm. And then for other passwords, um, you know, there's one that'll just do brute force attacks, but you need to have lots of CPU in order to do it in parallel in order to have it complete in fast periods of time. And you have to upgrade your own machine and get RAM so that you can have more programs running simultaneously so you can be doing multiple attack activities at the same time and things like that. So it was somewhat grounded in reality, but it was still clearly very sort of, you know, it was a lot of liberties were taken to make it a game, which is entirely reasonable. Yeah, I think, I think yeah, it kind of purports to be a realistic hacking game. Um, the most realistic part that I found and the most annoying part of it was that when you with you would you would you know hack into a server right and before you logged out of the server you'd have to delete all of the logs like it would create logs on the server when you entered and when you left and not when you left but when you did stuff on the server you'd oh. have to go and delete right because if they saw you snooping around you would get caught and that's like an instant game over so yeah that's not really a fun mechanic when like you forget to do that and then you leave and it's like oops you like lose the entire game because you yeah. forgot you just forgot to do a rote thing so that that was the reason I stopped playing that game because that was really fucking annoying. <laughs> Ooh, yeah. The one a uh, way that they have of working around that in the game is I think you can install a bomb onto your computer and add like a motion sensor or something like that. So you can blow up your bomb if it's about to get, if your computer's about to get confiscated. Uh, but I forget if that had to be manually activated or whatnot. But also like all of your money in game went into upgrading your computer. So blowing up your computer is typically like a an act of sheer desperation. The other somewhat realistic thing um, that was in this game that I recall was to work around the uh, thing that Ford was just talking about. You could sometimes hack into one computer and use that in order to forward you to another computer. So that like, as long as you remember to clear your logs off of one of those computers in the trail, uh, you're safe. Um, but if you forget to clear the logs off of all of them, or if you hack in directly and you don't fail to clean the logs, then you can get caught, and then you're very sad. <laughs> it's very good, but also very annoying. Yeah. It was an interesting game. I think I I think I was a beta tester for a port of it or something like that, um, because I think I was playing another one of their games that I'd purchased. I forget exactly how I ended up with this game, but I ended up with it for free, and I played it through halfway through, and I remember, like, the game kind of lost all the difficulty when there was a mission where it's like the goal was to report on somebody's uh, balance of their bank account. And when you logged in to this person's bank account, it was this really huge number, presumably to make it impossible to guess. But because it was also a huge number, I reported the thing in order to finish the uh, mission. And then I drained the bank account. And then I had enough money to buy all the upgrades in the game. And I'm like, this doesn't seem like this is what they were intending. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Sounds good. Mm -hmm. But that also sounds like the entire game is about hacking. <laughs> Hacks. Hacksaurs. Lead, lead speak. Yes. <laughs> L-O-L. O-M-F-G. I can't think of any other, like, we talked about Fallout 4 or whatever had a hacking system where 
you got parts of you got a whole bunch of words and you got like a number based off of how many of those were like correct yeah it's like you were presented with a screen full of you know mostly garbage but they were like mixed in little password candidates there and you would guess one and it would tell you how many letters of their guess was correct so you yeah. kind of compare the different candidates to each other and figure out okay i got three of these letters right so it could be this other one so that's a little uses more of your brain but i also found mm-hmm. it kind of annoying it's kind of yeah difficult and, i remember not liking it this sounds like it's a recasting i forget if uh, i think it's a board game or a game called mastermind um we're basically like okay this is a another really old game but it's basically people would put down colored pegs behind a hidden board and then you would take guesses as to what the set of colored pegs were and you'd get information back on how many of your guesses were correct and how many of them were wrong are you talking about battleship <laughs> i guess that's an, another similar thing battleship as a hacking minigame that's uh definitely a possibility yeah c4 hit nope oh shit that would be I don't know, I find Battleship really tedious. I think that would not be fun. Because you can you can end up going really long and like missing everything and then you have to like clear the whole fucking thing. I remember one time I was playing that game. I thought I was being really clever and put all of my ships right next to each other in this little cluster. No. Turns yeah. out it was not very clever actually. No. But my opponent was very confused when he had like six hits in a row and not a single <laughs> ship sunk. Interesting. It's not a good tactic. It's a good thing I didn't uh, go into the Marines or the Navy. (laughs) Tactics, though revolutionary, were not good. I think it's worth calling out. I haven't played it, but there is, you know, the um, developer Zachtronics makes all those weird puzzle games like uh, Space Camp and all that. Um, Has like a hacking focused one called Exapunks, which looks really cool. Looks like it has kind of some of the like isometric strategy stuff to it, but also some like potentially actual like you know puzzle puzzle elements and stuff again i haven't played it but it looks like it looks like the one hacking game that actually looks like cool and actually Mm. fully based i mean it's probably not realistic at all but at least takes hacking as gameplay and makes it the focus and makes it look actually good and interesting Mm. you just have tetris as the hacking minigame there you go it's more of a lockpicking minigame. You know, you just have all the pins start as the beginning of the Tetris board. Yeah. And you get a Tetris and boom, the lock is done. And you can go in. Problem solved. You can just do that for anything. You just have anything. And it's just like, this is... Tetris minigame. <laughs> boom. Okay. Problem solved. We, we solved video games with Tetris. All the old video games since Tetris have been a waste of time. Yeah. Just play Tetris instead. <laughs> Isn't uh, Tetris NP complete? Oh, I don't know. I vaguely remember hearing something about that. Yeah. It's what? NP complete. It's a category of problems in computer science. Are you not familiar with the term? No. Um, it basically means that the optimal solution uh, takes non-polynomial time, by which it's usually meant exponential, oh. um, like uh, like some constant to the n power or something like that, um, and basically means it's computationally intractable to find an uh optimal solution with current technology oh Um, really yeah and another neat thing about np complete problems i think is that they all reduce to each other i'm not sure if that's right or not um yeah i think i think that's part of the definition of complete is that they're all reducible to a whatever the whatever the like ideal 
NP complete problem is was the graph coloring or something. Mm -hmm. I don't know, something like that. Yeah. And so Tetris was actually originally made by a Russian, I think, mathematician or computer scientist who was basically exploring the problem space of computational complexity. And he was like, okay, what if you're getting a bunch of symbols falling from the sky and you know all of their, uh, you know, order, predetermined order? Uh, well, how do you find the optimal solution for this? And he's like, boom, MP complete bitches, QED. <laughs> I'm going to graduate from college now. Or grad school or whatever he was in. I don't know. That's really interesting. I think it's this is something we could probably do some more research on just because there's so much of the Tetris games that are dependent on the algorithm by which you get the your your actual pieces. Yeah. Yep. Like I think the original Tetris has like a weird algorithm where it's like more random, so you're like more likely to get a bunch of the same shit in a row, which mm -hmm. is really bad. <laughs> right. Whereas yeah. more modern games have like a bag where it's like you're guaranteed to get like the full set of seven and then like, or like a set of 14 or something. So you get a more even distribution of them. So, mm -hmm. yeah, you know, the solvability of like that stuff is in, in practice is like wildly dependent on like what the randomization of the pieces actually is. A, a non-true random randomization. Yeah. I think for the um, computational complexity puzzle, as it was originally posed, was you actually know the order of pieces you're getting in advance indefinitely, far into the future. So you can check mm. anytime you want. Um, so you know it, but it is some random thing. So admittedly, I don't know how the random was generated. So Yeah, well, it's also really funny to uh, see like speedruns or not really speedruns, but like, you know, manipulations, like tool-assisted speedruns of the original Tetris, because by like pausing the game, you can actually manipulate the random number generator. So you can just get whatever pieces you want. Oh, really? So, yeah. Maybe that's maybe that's the the instance of that problem is like mm. you remove the randomness. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember seeing that in uh, one of the videos. I think you said and hey, check this out earlier, uh, where somebody was using that in order to store information in uh, Tetris states. Yep. That was clever. Yeah. Well, um, did we solve hacking? You're nodding. Yep. Either either no, either there's no more hacking or everyone's computer is hacked now. I'm not sure which. That one, yeah, everyone's hacked. It depends on how much Tetris people have been playing while we've been recording this podcast. Your computer has been silently working on the Tetris problem <laughs> in the background. <laughs> it's called Tetris at home. We're solving Tetris. Nice. Saving lives by solving Tetris. Turns out protein folding also breaks down into Tetris. <laughs> Tetris. All right, why don't we take a break? Welcome back. Do you guys want to do... Hey, check this out. Yes. Great. I even have something this time in advance. And so I'm not going to oh, go last boy. and wait to see if inspiration <laughs> strikes while everyone else is describing their, hey, check this out. So uh, I think as of this week, uh, season four of Westworld just concluded. And so I wanted to take this opportunity to recommend season one of Westworld. 
Um, <laughs> it's not to say that all of the other seasons afterward have been terrible. They've been reasonably good television, but season one of Westworld was just absolutely brilliant television um, and just had so many great moments. And I've always wanted them to sort of go back to their sort of, you know, brilliance in the later seasons, and they've never quite managed to get there. So if you like the first season, yeah, you can watch the other ones afterward. But if you haven't seen the first season, do yourself a favor and watch it because it's excellent. I would say the second season is worth watching. Third season is... I I mean you you can watch it I guess. <laughs> Take it or leave it. We started so we started this season we were halfway through it, and literally like every episode I'm like I don't remember what the fuck happened last season like I have no idea who these people are or why they're doing half the shit they're doing, and I'm like wait I thought they were someone else what the fuck like why what is their reasoning I don't understand, and. I still don't. I'm halfway through it and I, like a big reveal just happened and I'm like, I don't fucking understand. <laughs> yeah, I've finished the fourth season and I actually had to sort of read an article to explain some of the things that happened to me. Um, so that was a little bit um, obnoxious, but I don't know. Like it's, they're going in a lot of different directions and they're, kind of just hinting at some things that I feel like maybe they should be more explicit about. Although I know that I sometimes get annoyed at television programs when I feel like they're insulting my intelligence by being really explicit about something. But now I feel like I'm having the opposite problem with Westworld. It's like, I'm dumb. Tell me explicitly (laughs) what's going on. Yeah. I'm going to go. Mine is also a TV show. It's uh, the Sandman adaptation on Netflix. It's fucking great. It's super good. Um, you you should watch it. I uh, I only really know the Sandman because I I was listening to um, the audiobook production that they did, um, where it's like a full like cast of like legitimate actors, and um, like the the show is just really it's very good. It's very hmm. good. The casting is great all around um i thought dream was just like very like the guy they got is just like very good he is very good at being a weirdo um have you watched the entire series i did okay i watched the first episode of it with my parents hoping like because I'm a big fan of the comics, um, and I yeah. also watched or listened to the first rec- uh, recorded episode of the audiobook, but I bounced right off of the first episode. I don't know what it was, but I was just like, eh, it's not drawing me in. And both of my parents, like one of them walked away in the middle of it, and the other one was like, what was that? That was very strange. Yeah, I mean, I remember watching it, and I also had a similar thing where I was like, I think it's that, like, you probably go in having some understanding of who this character is or, you know, you see trailers and stuff of like cool stuff. And the first episode is very mundane and very like unmagical or cool really in any regards. Cause it's about dream being captured for like 80 years or something. So it's like, you're following the life of like this shitty guy and his shitty son and dream just sitting in like a glass ball being like moody and not talking 
And you're like, what the fuck is this? And it's, it's kind of like, it is, it is a little boring, but I would say, um, really try and push through because, um, the adaptations of like some of the stuff is just, it's really well done. And also the, the, the changes that were made, um, I think were really smart in kind of creating a more like tighter knit, um, narrative that fits together a little bit more nicely. Whereas like, I think because it was a comic, there was a lot of parts that were just kind of like, it was almost like episodic in a way. So they're just kind of like disconnected. Whereas this kind of feels a little more like connected throughout, like things are connected in ways that they weren't originally. And I think that works in favor for the TV show. I'm glad to hear that it's uh turns out uh more engaging afterward like admittedly part of what i was thinking about is when i was reading the comics it wasn't until dream's sister death was introduced that it really sort of hooked me um and that's you know there's a decent amount of time before that happens and i'd imagine there's probably a decent amount of time in the television show so maybe it just has to do with sort of like the plot and how much background they introduce and before you sort of like really get you know on the hook of the series did it hook you from the first episode uh, I I mean I wouldn't say I was hooked, but I watched it because I I I had a feeling I was gonna like it, and mm-hmm. I had heard good things. And like Neil Gaiman was like one of the producers and like heavily involved in it, and like he like did rewrites and stuff on it to like fit. And so like this is very much like in line with his vision of what it should be, and so I, I had a lot of faith that like it was going to actually be something worthwhile. And it is like, it's, it's good. Um, and I f- feel like it's really rare to have like something like a, like an adaptation of something turn out to be like as good of quality as this was. And um, yeah, I liked it. I I think, I think you should really give it a shot. Sure. I'll give it the first go. episode. Not the strongest thing, but it's good. Glad to hear it. Cool. All right. I can go. Uh, I'm going to recommend the latest Jordan Peele movie. Nope. Oh shit. Did you see it in theaters? I did see it in theaters. It's very good. Um, it's about aliens and also horses. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's mostly, God, about, I want to see it. It's yeah, it's, it's definitely great. Um, yeah, mainly the plot kind of concerns, uh, trying to get photographic evidence of, of UFOs and beyond that, I won't spoil anything, but yeah, it's super good. Um, it's not, I would say not as like overly in your face, like kind of political, like his other two movies were, but there's a lot yeah. of interesting kind of thematic stuff kind of happening that you can kind of get a good sense of uh, on a first viewing. But I think this is also one of his movies that will, you know, open up a lot on, on repeated viewings too, which is really cool. Nice. Um, yeah. Just really fun movie shot really well. Great sound design, great music. Yeah. Check it out. Shit. Cool. I need to go see that. All right. Um, I'm at a Midler on Twitter. Where can people find you guys? I am at Heckbringer on Twitter. And I am at Redhesion on Twitter. Also, soundcloud.com slash adhesion and adhesion.bandcamp.com. And what are the other ones? You can find us together at 
at Radmars, right? Or at, at Team Radmars. Team, team Radmars. <laughs> at Team Radmars on Twitter. And there's probably other ways you can get a hold of us. <laughs> Radmar, you can play our games at radmars.com and radmars.h.io. There you go. Or you can shout, hey, Radmars, at the top of your lungs, and we'll probably hear. Yeah. You can also shoot the Radmars signal into the sky. That's right. Which is the image of Mars with sunglasses, and we'll all see it, and we'll all respond immediately. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And uh, music and shit was done by Ford. Great job. <laughs> I can't remember the other stuff. Oh, yeah, probably edited. I mean, yep. probably. I mean, I know it was because it wasn't me. <laughs> and he probably wrote the dialogue for all of us as well while he was doing it. Yep. Yeah. Um, let's see. So this is probably going to be my last episode before I have another child, and we'll leave you for paternity leave. <laughs> <laughs> we don't give you paternity leave here. You're fired. Shit. Team Radmars has terrible benefits. I'll, I'll use my vacation time that I haven't used. <laughs> I feel like the only person that has vacation time accumulated at this point on Team Radmars is Ford because he never yeah. misses an episode. Right. I guess that's true. Uh, anything else? No. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. And thank you guys for being here. Goodbye. Goodbye.